The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So today we're going to continue in our fantastic study on the attributes of God. Um, I do hope um, that this sermon series has sparked your interest to studying on your own about who God is, and I hope you're finding it to be so exciting. Um, Let's do a quick recap of the previous three weeks um, of what we learned so far. In the first week, we learned about the God who is, um, how he wants to be known, and how we can know him. In the second week, we learned about the God of love, and we learned how to love by his example. In the third week, last week, we learned about God is sovereign and how Christians are to respond to trials with that knowledge. Our study today is going to see how God has made himself known to us. Or in other words, how does God reveal himself to us? Our text of focus is Psalm 19. Um, a little background on this psalm. This is a song of praise. And David is the author of this song. He's praising God. He is praising God for giving us his word, which is the supreme revelation of who God is. Um, this is a king, and the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And so he wrote this song, and he wants it to be sung in the temple for public worship. He addressed it to the choir master. And the choir master took this song, and they sang it in the temple to praise God for revealing himself to us. So how does God do this? Where do we look to see God revealing himself? Today we will see God revealing himself in three different ways, and we will see our response to it. Our, the first way God reveals himself is creation, all the things that have been made. The second way God reveals himself is his word, which is, which is a more clear revelation of who he is. And the clearest revelation of God, his son Jesus Christ. Then will we learn from our text to humbly worship. Okay, so we will see God revealing himself in creation, his word, his son Jesus Christ, and finally, how do we respond um, to God revealing himself? So creation, word, Jesus, and our response. Let's begin with creation. Verse 1, the text says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So right here in verse 1, we see the first major way God chose to reveal himself. We see the heavens, and we see the sky. This is a, a summation of all of creation. More specifically here, this is where the stars live in the universe. Okay? And notice their message. Their message isn't, behold the glory. Because if we're to worship the thing created and not the creator, it's idolatry. And that's not the point of creation. In fact, the, the point of creation here, heavens and the sky, is to say, Behold the glory of God. Behold the glory of God. We can learn a lot from creation on who the creator is. Any depth of study on the universe will show us how vast and beautiful it is. Um, and it should draw our attention to think about the person who put it all together. So I'd like to have you, actually, take some time to think about your number one favorite aspect of creation. Your, your, the, the thing that 
really grabs a hold of your attention and sort of stuns you by its beauty, okay? It could be the night sky. It could be sunrises, which shows, like, God's beauty. It could be being in the mountains or being in the ocean and feeling God's power. It could be feeling the breeze on a hot day or the warmth of the sun on a cold day, which shows God's mercy and grace. So take a moment and think of your favorite thing about creation. My number one are sunsets. Aren't sunsets absolutely beautiful? It's like a new painting every day. It's fascinating to see all the colors of the sky blending together. So I researched it. <laughs> How does this happen? And physics tells us that the colors of the sunset result from a phenomenon called scattering. Okay, so check this out. Molecules and small particles in our atmosphere change the direction of light rays, causing them to scatter. Scattering affects the color of light coming from the sky, but the details are determined by the wavelength of the light and the size of the particles. So, in our atmosphere, we have molecules and particles. There are smaller ones towards the top, and there are bigger molecules toward the horizon. And when light is coming at us at 186,000 miles per second, it interacts with those particles and molecules, and it changes its color. So that's why it's more blue in the sky, and then when it gets closer to nighttime, it's purple, red, <laughs> those amazing colors, orange. It's called scattering. I, I don't see a random phenomenon here, though. I see complexity. I see beauty. I see control. God telling the light and God telling which particle to interact so that the, the sky can be painted for us to just be stunned by its beauty. This is, this is, for me, where God's power and God's beauty comes together in creation. This is where it is. Uh, sunsets. I mean, for you, it could be, you know, feeling the breezes or seeing lightning or, you know, seeing a volcano erupt. I don't know. There's so much beauty and power here in creation. Okay? And all of creation are, is giving us a message. They're saying, behold the glory of God. Okay? We meet people on a daily basis. Now, this is unfortunate, but we meet people on a daily basis, coworkers, relatives, friends, who say, God doesn't exist because I can't see him. They're living in a world where from every grain of sand on the beach to the largest stars we can observe, and even things we can't observe like gravity, always proclaiming, behold the glory of God. But how clear is this message? How clear is this message? Let's take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. I'm going to read it through, then we'll go back, and I want you guys to read it with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now, let's read it together. For what can be known about God is what? Plain. Plain. Because who? God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his what? Eternal power, Eternal power and what? 
have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are what? So here, this is how plain it is. I mean, God has made it plain for everyone to know about him. It is clearly perceived. God uses creation to reveal himself to everybody so that the, the whole world is held accountable to him. Nobody can stand before God and say, well, I didn't know about you. They are without excuse. God, this is the first way God has chosen to reveal himself, his creation. And we interact with it every single day. Every single day. How often? Let's look at verse 2. How often does God reveal himself? Does he do it on Sundays only? Does he do it once a year? Christmas? Easter? Hey, uh, I'm here, guys. See you later. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 2. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The speech and knowledge here are about the glory of God and what can be known about him. Remember his divine nature and eternal power. Okay, so day to day and night to night. This is a message that cannot be exhausted. As long as it is day or night, God is using creation to show himself to us. He has been doing it before we were born, and he will continue to do it after we pass. This is a message that is not affected by men, regardless if men believe it or not. It doesn't matter. The message is given day to day, night to night, day to day, night to night. The truth of God is plain for all to see and hear. And also, this message is given constantly so that no human being will ever go before God and say, I had no idea about you. Oh, I missed you on Sunday. Well, what about Monday? Oh, I missed you on Monday. What about Tuesday? What about Wednesday? Day to day, night to night, day to day. It's a constant message. God is using the sky and all of creation to tell us that he exists. This is God's general revelation to all men. It is given every day and night. Another thought about this, this constant day to day and night to night also shows something about the creator. God is who he is yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The faithfulness of the message given day to day, day night to night, God, behold the glory of God, behold the glory of God, behold the glory of God. This shows God's faithfulness in his own character. This is pointing to a creator who is faithful every single day. He's not going to change. This is who he is. He's revealing himself in creation. So, verse 3 and 4. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all creation and their words to the end of the world. So, we're not hearing stars actually speaking here, right? And if you are, maybe... Uh, just, oh, we'll have to talk maybe. Um, there is no actual voice coming from the stars and, and the sun. But they are speaking in a language. And this language is known by every human heart. It's drawing your attention. You can't miss it. You look at the vastness of the universe, your heart automatically goes, ah, I hear it. It's beautiful. So, and if this is not enough, David, he's, he's going to focus here, verse uh, 4b through 6, on um, the sun. 
the king of the sky, the sun. I'll just read it real quick. In them, that is the night sky, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is and rising from the ends of heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is amazing. David compares the sun to a bridegroom leaving his chamber. This is a reference to an event back in the day uh, when towns were smaller. Um, if somebody wants to get married, everyone's anticipating that day. And everyone is waiting outside, and they're going to about to see this bridegroom come out dressed in amazing splendor. He is dressed to the top. He's glorious in how he looks. And everyone is going to be cheering, clapping, singing, dancing. Yay, the bridegroom has left his chamber. He's going to be joined to his wife. Marriage is happening. Let's party. And if you were to say, oh, I didn't, oh, he, he did? He, he got married yesterday? Oh, people would be like, you're lying. There's no way you didn't hear it. All the drums, all the singing. So this is um, when, the, when the glorious sun is rising. And, everybody, and so like the bridegroom leaving his chamber, the same way when the, so, the glorious sun is rising, it's the brilliance of that sun is touching all of creation. Everybody has felt its heat or seen its light. No one can silence the message or change the message of this sun. However, if we only stop at the glory of the sun, then we are not truly seeing what the sun is supposed to do. When we see the sun in its glory and majesty to the point where it could hurt our eyes if we look at it for too long, we're supposed to wonder, if this sun created is so massive and so bright, I wonder how bright and splendorous and massive with power the creator of it is. Right? The sun is pointing. All the twinkling stars in the, in the sky shown at night are trillion and trillion and trillion of suns bigger and smaller than ours. And they're all proclaiming one message, Behold the glory of God. So, this is the first way God has um, revealed himself to us. So, he revealed himself through creation. We saw his divine nature by looking at his beauty by the things that were made, his faithfulness for the constant message of the stars and sun day to day and night to night. And we saw his eternal power in the sun. But with all that, is that enough to know him? How do we know we're thinking about the true and living God? How do we really know him? We look to the second way God chose to reveal himself, his word, his word. Um, while the message of creation is enough to hold the whole world accountable for their knowledge of who God is, it isn't enough to save them. It isn't enough to save them from God and his judgment towards sin. Because creation doesn't tell us about God's law, about sin and salvation. However, it does spark our curiosity when we're seeing creation. And some people search for God because of that curiosity, and God saves that person. Or some people suppress the truth about God, live the way they want to live in disobedience to him, and will have to face God in judgment. So what can give us the truth about how to be saved fully? Where can we look to have our souls satisfied? Where can we look to have our eyes enlightened? Where can we look to have our heart rejoice? Where can we find everlasting life? 
We find it in the word of God. So right here, verse 6 and 7, take a look. Um, There's a transition here that some people think it's awkward. They think it's from a different psalm. They just took two psalms and kind of like put it together and, you know, let's move on. But I don't think that's the case. But let me tell you what, let me read to you what they're talking about. It's rising, so verse 6, talking about the sun. It's rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Oh, like, that's almost an awkward transition. David, what kind of music are you playing here? (laughs) Sorry. I think that this transition is actually beautiful. It goes from creation, okay? Something that we... We can trust and experience on a, uh, and experience his beauty and power on a day-to-day basis. Remember, day-to-day, night-to-night, right? To his word, something we can also trust and experience the beauty and its power as a part of our, of our everyday life, day-to-day and night-to-night. Okay? The author and sustainer of life and everything we see is the same author of this book, our Bible. Yes, men wrote it, but we know it was, inspi- it was men inspired by the Holy Spirit, who is God. Um, it was written over the course of 1,500 years. There was 40 different people writing it, and there were 66 books. Okay? But it has the same message as creation. The message is, behold the glory of God. Don't you see? God has made himself known to us. This next section is long. It has 18 items. <laughs> We're not going to go through every single one in detail. We won't have enough time. Um, but we are going to focus on one. And what can be said about this one can be applied to all of them. So I encourage you to go during this week and look at this treasure. Really look at it. Take each item. Study it. There's great benefits here. So verses 7 through 9, we have six titles Six characteristics and six benefits of the Word of God. Okay? So I'm going to read the name and characteristics, and you're going to read to me the benefit. All right? I know I'm making guys work today. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to read, for instance, verse 7. I'm going to say, the law of the Lord is perfect, and then you respond with? And I want it to be a little bit more clear. Okay? I want it to be a little bit more powerful here. All right? So... Let's begin. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord is right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord is true. Right off the bat, before I even say anything, isn't that amazing? (laughs) Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever, and righteous. What else is like this? We got so many self-help books and do this and seven steps to that. But this, this book right here has all of it, everything we need for our soul. So... Let's examine the first one together. And it could be applied to all of them, remember. So we're going to look at the giver of the law and truths. The first thing I'd like you to bring to your attention is that the, the word Lord here, in your translation, if you see it, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. Right? 
It's not capital L, lowercase o-r-d, which means like a ruler or a king or somebody with authority over people. This is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is Yahweh in Hebrew. This is the name of the living God. And David is using it six times in this song. He is telling us something, that this creator, this law giver, the law, the word of God is not given by men. It's not given by creation. The Son is not telling us the law of God. So who is? God is. God is telling us. He is the true ruler of the universe. And through this law and through this word, we get to know him more fully. Okay, so the law here is specifically God's full teaching Okay, this is God's word on, um, and teaching about our life. It's, it's, it's full, okay? It includes who God is, what are his attributes, what he desires from us, what are the warnings for not following the law in disobedience, and what are the promises of following the law in obedience, okay? This book was written about God, okay? It was written by God and was published by God. This is a clear and specific revelation of himself to us. We can see him very clear in the words written. We can't, it would be hard to get it wrong. Um, it is written to be studied and taught from generation to generation. So we have the word of God, and it is specific. It is um, his law written down for us. Um, the characteristic of this law is perfect. I want to point out the word is. Is. The law of the Lord is perfect. Imagine if it said the law of the Lord was perfect. Hmm. <laughs> what did that mean that one day something happened in history and, oh, God didn't count for it? Oh, no. Humans are like this now. Oh, my law doesn't apply no more. Go ahead, make up your own law. <laughs> Imagine if that happened. No, that, this text doesn't indicate that at all. The law of the Lord is perfect. It, by, it bypasses time and cultures. It bypasses language. It's eternal. And this also shows the characteristics. It reflects God's character. So, is perfect? God is perfect. Um, this perfection, it means you, shouldn't, you can't add to it and you shouldn't take away from it. It's perfect. It's all angles sufficient for our life. It's perfect. Don't mess with it. In the same way, it's showing God's perfection. God's perfection. He is perfect. There is no lie that comes from God. There is no unrighteous anger that comes from God. There is no um, anything we call evil. That comes from God. God is perfect. He upholds his own law. And he's given us that law. He's given it to us. We could see him in it. We can see him in it. Um, but is that it? So God wrote this law. He kind of gave it to us. And uh, we should obey it. And then nothing happens after that. Or there's something more that comes with it. There's something more. There's a great benefit to it. It revives the soul. 
There is a cause and effect. When you go and study the Word of God and you read it, there is an absolute effect on your soul. Okay, so God's Word is powerful that it can transform the inner self, also known as soul, mind, heart, the will. This is you at your core. God's Word and His truth has the power to change you. It brings refreshment to your soul. It revives your soul. I mean, how often do we feel dull and numb in life? You just go on and go on and go on. Another day, another day, it's numb. You want a cure? The law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. It's right here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's right in front of us. It's right in front of us. It's here. It makes us wise. You need, you need help making a decision? It makes us rejoice. You want to rejoice? You want to be happy? It enlightens our eyes. Do you want to see life with a true perspective to really get meaning of how to look at trials? It's so incredibly valuable to have something like this. And we, we, we could put it in our smartphones and smart devices. We can carry it. We have it written down for us. It's been printed and given and given and given and given to us. It's so incredibly valuable. This is better than treasure. It's more satisfying than food. So in verse 10, our song comes to reflection moment. It says, more to be desired are they, this is the law and the word of God, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, moreover by them your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Do we have this desire about the word of God? How many of us can say, oh, to have your word for my life. I'd pay anything. I'd give up anything. Money may provide for your life, but it cannot secure your eternal life. What about the sweetness of his word? He wrote it down for you. He wrote it down for you. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, wrote down a book, a letter for you. You're having a hard time in life? You come to the word of God. You need refreshment for your soul? You come to the word of God. You want to just sing praise? You come to the word of God. You're feeling convicted and you need grace? You come to the word of God. It's written down for you. It's written down for you. How sweet is it to hear a good word in due season? What about guardrails, the warnings of God? I mean, I love this one. He gave us guardrails for our life. So then we're not going through life aimlessly. Oh, I guess I'm going to go here today. Oh, this looks like a fun. What? He's put guardrails. He's put warnings. He's told us where to walk, how to walk, how to get to him, our, the, the, the source of our soul satisfaction. Right? Amen? Amen. Okay, so we have seen God revealing himself in creation. We have seen God revealing himself more fully in his word. But there is one more way God chosen to reveal himself. Let's look at the ultimate and most clear expression of who God is. This is to the degree where he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
He is the word of God made flesh and dwelt among us. The one who holds the entire universe by the word of his power. The one who is co-creator of the universe. The one who loved God perfectly and lived perfectly in obedience to God's law fully. The one who is without sin. The one who restored people. The one who demons tremble at the sight of him. Our rock, our redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, who? God spoke. To our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has what? Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. He, that's being Jesus, is the what? Radiance of the glory of God. And the what? And the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is so amazing. This is so amazing. Jesus, who looks like a normal human being, okay, he walked, he slept, he ate, he talked with people just like you and I do. And in fact, he is the God of the universe. God didn't just stay so far away, right? I mean, he's creator and we're creation. There's a gap. No one's crossing over. God is creation, the creator, and we're creation. He didn't just stay over there. Also, he didn't just write a little letter for us and giving it to us that we would gain something from it in our life and help us in our life, and that's it. He visited us. He's visited us. Face to face, he's come before us. He dwelt among us. He had friends. He had enemies. The record of his life is written down for us. He was really here. He was really here. Don't you see how much God has made himself known to us? He came to earth to tell us plainly about the Father with words and a voice. Oh, amazing. So recap. God has revealed himself in creation. He has revealed himself more clearly in his word. He he also revealed himself in the clearest way possible in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So how do we respond to God who has made himself known like this? We know in part what he is like in the things made. We know him more fully by his word written down for us. And we know him the most when we look onto Jesus, who is the clearest expression of who God is. So how, how do we respond to this? He's given us everything. He used everything to show himself to us. We respond with humble worship to God. This is devotion to God. There are four aspects to this worship, and we will see it from the text. The first one's conviction. The second one, redemption. The third one, perfection in Christ. And the fourth one, devotion with mind and heart. The first one, conviction. Look at verse 12. 
Who can discern his errors? That's an interesting question. Why would David bring up errors here? We've seen God's glory in creation. That's beautiful. That's powerful. That's amazing. We saw his glory in his word. That's beautiful. It's power. It's amazing. We saw him in coming here as Jesus. Mind blown. Why would David, a king of Israel, a man that the Bible calls a man after my own heart, bring up errors here? Something wrong. Something awry. Something not good. Well, we can probably say that David didn't obey uh, to the warnings and guardrails of God's word in his own life. He sees the sin of not obeying God's word in his own life. And he's also felt the consequences for it. We can point out some of the sins David did, right? It's ran down for us. We know what he experienced. How about us? Are there warnings that we know God is telling us straight from his word that are clear as the sun and we will not obey it? That has to be one of the scariest things about our hearts. Has to be one of the scariest things. That is error. God has made clear what he desires of us. And to say, ah, not going to do that one, God. I know that's what you said, but ah, I don't want. That's error. That's sin. Sin is disobedience to God's word. And the Bible says, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. If you break God's law, then you have errors that will be brought to judgment before God. We know we can't say, oh, I didn't know. Because what is he going to say? I revealed myself to you in creation. I have given you my word. I have sent you my son to teach you and to explain to you. There is no more excuses. You can't say, oh, God, I didn't know you existed. So what do we need? We need redemption. David feels the urgent cry for redemption. He goes to the one who can condemn him right on the spot and says, in verses 12 through 13, Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. David is very bold. David recognizes that it's not only the sins that are evident that are vulgar and bad, but also the hidden sins of the heart that are bad. Over time, these hidden sins will grow and they will become more evident. And David doesn't want to have any sin, small or big, to have dominion over him. He wants to be redeemed so that he can enjoy God with a clear conscience. So how does God do this? God, who renders to each one according to his deed, how is God going to declare David blameless? Does God wink at sin? Does God sweep your sin under the rug? Oh, yeah, you didn't do it. I, I love you. Let's put your sin here. And, you know, no one has to pay for it. You're free to go. Oh, Hitler, oh, you're crying to me. Yeah, let me just put everything you did right here under the rug. I love you. You're free to go. Does, does God do that? No. So we look to someone else. Perfection in Christ. Perfection in Christ. David says in verse 13, Then I shall be blameless. God, if you declare me righteous and blameless, then I will be blameless. You declare it, then I am. And I'll be innocent of great transgression. So I feel with David here. I've sinned. 
I don't deserve the benefits of God's word in my life. I have broken all of God's laws. All of them. I deserve to die because of it. I need a savior. I need a lawyer in that day of court with God. And just like David, I went to God looking in his word for mercy. There is one who shines so much brighter than the sun we know and feel every day. There is one who is stronger than the sun we know and feel every day. This one is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came to our rescue. He came to earth. Lived a perfect life on our behalf. A life that was pleasing to God. That's what we mean when we say perfect life. Jesus lived a life that was pleasing to God. He upheld, Jesus upheld the law fully, 100%. And God was pleased with him. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Bible also says there was not even found one lie on his lips. No lie on his lips. He lived a perfect life on our behalf. Okay? Then he went to the cross to be judged by God for our sins. Wait, he went to, wait, he, he was perfect. He went to the cross for our sins? What? What's going on here? At the cross, God condemned his own son to die. Wait, he paid my punishment? That's my punishment. I broke all of God's law. I'm supposed to die. Jesus went to the cross and he died? This is to satisfy God's justice. See, if God was to just say, oh, I love you, your sins are free to go, and you can go, then God is, he's not upholding justice. If you and somebody else are in court, and that person harmed you in such a strong way, they killed a family member that level strong, and the judge says to that person, oh, I love you, you're free to go, won't we lose our minds? <laughs> this judge is crazy. What is he doing? So the justice of God had to be satisfied. It had to be. It had to be. Somebody had to pay the punishment of our errors. It's either us or we could look to somebody else and we see Jesus. We see Jesus. Jesus did die. That he was buried by his friends. It happened. And that's where our sins were paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood was shed. Our errors have been paid for. They have been taken care of. God's justice was satisfied when Jesus died and shed his blood on the cross for us. With that happening, God can look at us and say, I forgive you. Your sins have been paid for, but I forgive you. I forgive you. Come be redeemed. Come be redeemed. Is it all of our sin? What about the sins we don't notice? Yes, those ones. Those ones too. What about the, the ones I know I was wrong in it completely? Yeah, those ones too. Yeah, those ones too. All of them. And to prove God accepted Jesus' sacrifice, to prove it to everyone, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? <laughs> it's amazing. Jesus rose from the dead. God accepted his sacrifice for our sins to be paid for. So now we can enjoy God with a clear conscience. The transaction happened. It, it worked. It went through. 
So whoever puts their trust and hope in Jesus' sacrifice, God will say to you, you're blameless. Not because you kept the law and you did such a good job and God's happy with you. No, that doesn't work like that. You can't keep the law. I can't keep the law. No one can keep the law. But Jesus kept the law. And if we trust Jesus, we put our hope and trust in him, God says, I count you blameless. I count you blameless. I count you blameless. You're blameless. Why? Jesus switched records with us. We have a record of errors. Ah. And Jesus had a perfect record. You, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. All the time, 100%. You never lost one second. You love your neighbor as yourself. Follow the, follow the Ten Commandments. Jesus upheld them perfectly all his life. Not one second did he break them. Look at our list, my list. My list is... Yikes. <laughs> That's the word that comes to my mind. Don't look at my list, Lord. <laughs> Don't look at it. But here's what happened on the cross. He took his record. God took his record. God took your record. And Jesus, now you're going to pay for all the things that you've done. And then God looks at us, says, you're perfect. I'm going to treat you as perfect. I'm not going to think about you like, oh, yeah, I know what you really did. No, paid for, done. I love you. And last but not least, this should really strike up some devotion in our hearts. This should really start to, it should humble us. But it should really bring up devotion in our hearts. David ends a song with, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The connection of the heart and mind here are, to, are showing that both are working together to be fully devoted to God, heart and mind. So the mind is studying and learning the word of God and knowing his word so we can better obey it. The heart, to have a passion for his word, a passion for him, so we can have boldness to follow it, his law. And because the Lord is both rock and redeemer, we are held in the rock who is Jesus Christ. So that way, if we ever fall, we're safe in him. He has, he's also Redeemer. The one who's judging the universe is actually the one who died for us on the cross. What's against us here? Nothing. Come and enjoy me, God is saying. Come and enjoy me. I revealed myself to you in three major ways. I want to be known by you. I want to satisfy your soul. There's no more errors on your record before me. I'm going to treat you perfect. It's God's, that's the gospel. That's good news. Do you have anything better than that? Some religions say, oh yeah, well, Jesus died for you on the cross, but now you've got to keep the law. An example, my brother and I had, we've got to meet on Saturdays. That's the true Sabbath. That's when God really wants, what? Get that out of here. Oh, all of my record has been, all my errors have been taken care of. Amen. So we've seen God revealing himself in creation. We have seen him revealing himself better in his word. We have seen him, um, we've seen him reveal the greatest in Jesus Christ, his son. Then through and in the good news that Jesus freed us from error before God, we can enjoy him and his word fully. We learn from David in light of these truths to humble worship. How? Conviction. We know we're wrong. 
We know it. But we go, to, we go to God to be redeemed. Jesus paid for it on the cross. Perfection. God has given us Jesus' perfection and devotion and heart and mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for, you, for sending your son, the Lord Jesus. You have made yourself known and open to us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds will be fully devoted to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.